Principal Matters Podcast, Episode 62. Guess what? It's a great big world out there, and you don't have to be scared, because it's all yours for the taking. I know that your dreams are big and bright, and God gave you this life to do crazy things. Hi, Principal Matters listeners. This is Will Parker, Principal from Sky Took High School and host of Principal Matters, the school leaders podcast for each week. I bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week, I want to talk about setting the record straight in school advocacy. You can check out free posts like this one at my website at williamdparker.com. If you want to subscribe for my weekly updates, I'll send you a free ebook called Eight Hats, Essential Roles for School Leaders. Or you can check out my book, Principal Matters, The Motivation, Action, and Courage Needed for School Leaders at my website or at amazon.com. You know, a few years ago, I had the privilege to participate in a 10-day tour in China. I was there with a student group, and we had an amazing summer experience together seeing four cities. On one leg of that trip, I sat by a Mongolian woman who was fluent in English, and on her way home, after completing her graduate studies at Boston University, and we had a great conversation, trading stories about our families and our homes and our schools and our studies. Toward the end of our conversation, she turned to me, and she asked me very poignantly, why do U.S. schools not measure up to other nations on standardized tests? Now, this was a fair question, and I'm sure that she had seen the statistics commonly discussed in higher ed about the comparison of U.S. public school scores to students in other industrialized nations. I also knew from having talked to her that she came from a situation and a background that had, that had allowed her access to higher education, so she had seen firsthand how helpful her education had been. But as a good teacher, I answered her question first with my own questions, and I said, can I ask you something. At the schools that you attended growing up, how many students did you know with disabilities? What do you mean? She replied, and she looked very serious. Anyone in a wheelchair, for instance, I said. She thought for a moment. No. She shook her head. Did you know any students who struggled with reading or had dyslexia? Did you attend a school with anyone who required an interpreter? Did your school service any students who were seeing or hearing impaired? Did you have any pregnant girls in your school? And each time she would shake her head. No, not that I know of, she said. You see, I explained, in our U.S. public schools, we accept every student, the ones who struggle, as well as the ones who excel. And our test scores reflect all of their outcomes, not just select groups. She looked at me with this surprised look on her face, and she said, I never knew that. And we had a very good conversation uh, with that perspective that she had never known before. You know, as school leaders, I think sometimes we need perspective checks for the people that we talk to about our schools. First of all, I want to say that we as school leaders know that we're ultimately held responsible for the wins and losses of our schools. But at the same time, We have to keep our school's outcomes in perspective with the realities that our schools face. So let me be really clear as I'm talking today about a reality check and advocacy. 
First of all, I believe that all schools, especially K-12 public schools, face similar challenges that can require only one common mission, and that is helping our students overcome whatever obstacles that they have so that they perform well in spite of, not in absence of, those difficulties. And that's true for any kind of school. It doesn't matter if it's public or private or charter or homeschool. But public schools, unlike our private or charter counterparts, do have what I consider uniquely, especially unique settings where seats cannot be reserved and children cannot be denied services. And so I'm not posting this or talking about this this week to create controversy. Instead, what I wanted to have is a conversation about the realities that we face in serving public school students, but also the best practices that each of us can be using to serve them well. Now, I believe that comparing U.S. public schools to our international counterparts is like comparing apples to oranges. So before I talk about best practices, first let me just address this assum- this false assumption. I do talk about this in length in a post where I reviewed Rick DeFore's great book, In Praise of the American Educators, where he catalogs the false assumptions that many have about public schools. In his research, he shows that you can compare the highest achieving subset of students in U.S. schools, even ones from diverse national or economic backgrounds. You can compare this subset of students to any subset of students around the world, and in every comparison group, the U.S. students outscore the rest of the world. However, if you compare all students from American public schools to international students, we fall below many of them. And here's the point that DeFer's research is trying to make. Most other industrialized nations that we are compared to in those standardized scores are only scoring their highest achieving students who have been selected to progress on to their next levels of schooling by their test scores. I know this is what happens in the Chinese schools that I visited, and many of these comparison nations are testing their brightest students where we test them all. So the comparison of our test scores to industrialized nations' test scores are not comparing apples to apples. That's point one. But at the same time, there are some sobering statistics about American K-12 schools. So don't misunderstand me. Even though many of the comparisons that are made are not fair, we still have room to grow, and there are many daunting trends. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to listen to a presentation by Bill Daggett, who's the founder and chairman of ICLE, the International Center for Leadership and Education. And just a quick disclaimer that I have done some consulting for that group in digital learning settings. But Bill Daggett's research is a vivid reminder of the ways that American schools are still struggling with outcomes. And here are some of the statistics that he shared that I think all of us should share when we are considering the concerns that we have for the future of high school graduates. And there are five of them that I want to um, lay out for you that he shared during that presentation. Number one, he shared that there's a growing trend and the percentage of young people who are no longer eligible for the military. Um, according to his research at the time, 70% of young people in America were being considered unqualified for military enlistment. Now, 30% of those were unqualified because of no, not having a high school diploma. Um, so there are many kids not finishing school, therefore they can't enlist. Also, the inability to pass basic literacy tests 
excluding another 28% of those who were interested in military service or those who could not pass the ASVAB because of their low reading scores. There is a growing number of students who are ineligible to enlist because also because of lack of physical fitness due to obesity or former drug abuse or records of incarceration. So it should be concerning to us that 70% of our young people are not even eligible for military enlistment. And as Daggett asks, asks in that presentation, it should concern us because are 70% of our young people headed to lives of public assistance if they can't pass basic entry requirements for military service? It's an honest question. Number two, Daggett shared that many American students are simply not college ready, and the statistics bear that out. At the time, the national statistics were that 51% of two-year college students enter needing remediation, that 19% of four-year college students need remediation, that 44% of two-year college students are dropping out, and that 34% of four-year college students drop out. The point is that even when students go to college, an alarming percentage of them are not finishing. Number three, many American students are also not considered to be career-ready. So when Daggett shared this information, at that time there were 13 million Americans who were unemployed, but 3.8 million jobs or not even being filled at that time because many of them were skilled positions. Now, that was a presentation that he made during recession time. And if you look at unemployment numbers today, they have gone down by almost half. But the challenge still remains that there are skilled jobs that require advanced training or degrees, and students without either often end up in jobs that pay much less. So we have problems with students who are not able to land jobs that require high skill. Number four, many American students are challenged to employ. Just because a student has a degree uh, or a diploma doesn't mean that he or she is employable. And our majors matter a lot. And we have some students who are majoring in things that don't connect to any specific job skill. You know, at the time of the recession, there were 53% of bachelor degree holders under 25 who were jobless or unemployed. And that number has improved with the economy. But as Daggett put it in that presentation, quote, college should be a means to an end, not the end, end quote. So if we want to see our college, if we want to see our young people finish college and find employment, then they must also choose education paths that make them employable. And number five, the last point he made was this. As technology becomes more sophisticated, we are losing many low-level jobs. So think about how job descriptions change as technology develops. Um, as Daggett put it, quote, Anything you can write an algorithm for can be done more efficiently by technology than by a person, end quote. The point is this. Students should expect training or education far beyond their high school years if they're going to have the skills that can match an ever-changing job market. And so they must can constantly be willing to adopt as technologies are constantly producing new challenges and new opportunities. So here's my question. How do we respond to these competing narratives about K-12 education in America? Because when you look at the competing perspectives on public ed, it's, it's so easy to be confused. On the one hand, we're not comparing apples to apples when we look at test scores of U.S. public schools to international counterparts, and so the criticism is unfair. But at the same time, the conditions of many American schools are urgent and real if we have students who need more meaningful and effective educations to be better prepared for life after high school. Now, here's what makes me sad. 
What makes me sad is that policymakers are often divided on the right solutions of how to meet these needs. And so we see people on every spectrum of this argument. We have some who want to abandon K-12 public educations for pushing for charter or voucher options. Or we have others who seem to suggest that the solution involves quick fixes like legislative or policy initiatives or redesignings of, of schools. And we have a growing number of policymakers that simply portray today's schools as broken models and want to see them replaced. But let's be honest, one of the biggest challenges in addressing the challenges that face American schools is this constant tension that puts people either on one side or the other of these school arguments. And I would like to, for this podcast today, at least be a voice of objectivity. You know, I believe that supporters of public education are often accused of burying their heads in the sand, where proponents of accountability or policy options like portability or, or vouchers are accused of mischaracterizing public schools. And I think that we're all often unfair in our mischaracterizing of one another. So here's the big question that I'm not sure if I can provide the answer for, but I would like to at least explore it in the last few minutes of today's podcast. How do we find solutions together? And I'm not going to attempt to settle this argument in, in one episode, but I, I would like to suggest that it is sensible to admit we have schools that struggle and need to grow, while at the same time celebrating the fact that we have other schools that have amazingly good practices and that are successfully working. So let me give you some examples. The good news is that hundreds of model schools already exist for how to operate effectively, and researchers have spent decades identifying these model schools. If you look, for instance, at ICLE's website for case studies on model schools, and I'll link to it in this post, you will find examples of schools that have demonstrated excellence over and over and over again. Public schools that demonstrate at least excellence in these five areas, student achievement, instructional effectiveness, teaching, instructional leadership, and organizational leadership. Or you can look at the National Association of Secondary Principals websites on Breakthrough Schools, and I'll link to that as well. And they identify schools all over America that are breaking through these molds by collaborative leadership models, through personalization of their schools, and through strong curriculum instruction and assessment. And so we already have amazing examples over and over and over again of schools that are modeling excellence. And as you look at these schools and you try to identify what are the common practices among them that make them strong, then you fall back to what many have been coining for, to, for the last 10 years as the three R's. And these three R's were probably made the most famous by Bill Gates' speech in 2005 when he talked about public schools in a speech that in some ways mischaracterizes public schools, but in other ways was a seminal public address that has pushed a lot of policies in the last decades concerning schools. But the golden nugget, I think, that you can pull out of that speech was when he said this, there are three R's or three practices that model schools use. The first is rigor, quote, making sure all students are given a challenging curriculum that prepares them for college or work. Two, relevance, quote, making sure kids have courses and projects that clearly relate to their lives and goals. And number three, relationships, making sure kids have a number of adults who know them, look out for them, and push them to achieve, end quote. So here's the good news. 
model schools and breakthrough schools have been practicing these three R's consistently for decades. For instance, if if you were a student in my school, you obviously would find room for improvement because every school needs it, but you would also find rigorous options like concurrent enrollment classes for community college courses if you want to be earning high school credit and college credit at the same time, or choices in 16 different career clusters for career technology courses that you can enroll in while in high school so that you're earning a job, learning a job skill while at the same time getting a diploma, or advanced placement course work that's approved by the college board where you can earn college credit before graduating high school in highly rigorous classes of instruction. You would also have access to amazing teachers who connect learning to relevant offerings like forensics or Photoshop or coding or pre-engineering or fine arts. And you would have teachers who care about students as people. Ours is just one example of a school that's trying to practice those three R's, but we're one of many. So let me wrap this up for this week. How do we keep these perspectives in mind in our work as school leaders? When I was talking to that kind woman on the plane to China, I wanted her to understand what I would hope that our critics and supporters should also understand about K-12 education, that our students, that our student population represents all children and that their outcomes really belong to all of us. And the truth is that we have many great schools and many struggling schools at the very same time. But we also have access to best practices and strategies and approaches that work that, if they're modeled and used, help schools thrive. So this week, I just wanted to offer a voice of objectivity. The next time someone asks you why American public schools don't measure up, don't sugarcoat the facts, but don't let them off the hook either. Let's talk about where we need to be preparing our students, but let's also operate without false assumptions. And then let's move forward with the practices and policies and approaches that are working for model schools, because those practices are really what matters for students. So now it's your turn. How how do you answer the critics of our schools as a school leader with truth and perspective, not sugarcoating, but also acknowledging what works? How can you be the champion communicator for your school of how your school is practicing great rigor and great relevance and great relationships. And then this week, I also want you to consider some advocacy. I am the state coordinator for my state with the National Association of Secondary Principals. And next week, I'll be going to Washington, D.C. for an advocacy conference there. And I will have the chance to visit my elected officials. And as policymakers are debating their own approaches of how to fix schools, you can also be a voice of reason with your elected officials. So let me just encourage you to reach out to those who represent you and share with them the ways that you're practicing rigor and relevance and relationship in your school. If you want to go to NASSP's Principal Legislative Advocacy page, I'll link to that in this link. And let me encourage you to reach out to a legislator. It's easy to do that on that website. It also can show you uh, other ways that you can be advocating for your schools there too. So this week, I just want to encourage you as you are leading and serving students to remember that in our conversations about schools, yes, we have to set the record straight, but we also have to continue to practice what works. That's it for this week. If you'd like to check out other free resources for school leaders at my website at williamdparker.com, you can do so there. I hope that if this has been helpful to you in any way, share it out with other leaders. I'm looking forward to talking to you next week. I hope that you have a fantastic day and thanks for doing what matters. You were made for grace.